0: We are singing of the goodness of God, and we get to this morning the pleasure of a good God speaking to us in the Scriptures. This morning we are going to be in Acts chapter 19, so if you would open your Bible there, uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 9 at verse 19, which is where we left off. Uh, last week here at Spring Hill Church, my aim is to um, take a book of the Bible and we go through it line upon line, verse upon verse, uh, so that the agenda becomes God's word and not uh, Jeff's agenda. That's what is next is what is next. And if it's difficult, brace yourself. Um, so uh what we will do is we will um we'll seek God the Holy Spirit in prayer this morning, then we'll read the passage under examination, and then we will examine the passage, making observations and applications as we go. So would you join me in prayer, please? For your glory, Father, we ask that you would bestow upon us grace in the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enlighten our minds, that we would understand your word this morning. We ask for the Holy Spirit to inflame our hearts toward love and good works. We ask that our will would be engaged, that we would align our will with your will, that your will would become ours, that you would give us boldness to carry out the Father's kingdom purpose in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, the second half of 19. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is. The son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Many days had passed. The Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiply. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as we looked last week at Saul's conversion, one of the things that we noticed is that one of the signs that you actually have been converted is that you have been commissioned. That when you are converted, you are commissioned. And that Saul was immediately commissioned To kingdom work. And so, one of the signs of, for us, being converted, is that we are engaged in kingdom work. See, the Great Commission is the work of the converted. Disciples who make disciples. Well, disciples who make disciples are not just a special class of Christian. They're not a special class of Christian. Disciples who make disciples are those who have been born again, those who have been made new by God's grace, by God's favor, because he has revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ his work and his will. So this morning, as we look at our text, we are going to see another sign of the converted. A Christian is converted by the grace of God, is commissioned to kingdom work in Jesus Christ, but further... The converted, commissioned saint is empowered for that work in the Holy Spirit. What is the primary power we see in the life of the converted and the commissioned? What is the primary power? When we think about the Holy Spirit, right, don't we often think about all of these these gifts, right? Miracles, healings, all of these things. But what accompanies the conversion? What accompanies conversion and commission immediately? What is this power that comes from the Holy Spirit? What is this gift that we are given? One word, boldness. Boldness. Boldness is a gift of God from the Holy Spirit. We could describe boldness as zeal. But as we remember from last week's study, uh, Saul was quite zealous, wasn't he? He was zealous, but misguided due to spiritual blindness. Remember that the power that Jesus promised to the early disciples was that uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and he said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to me. Remember what I said last week about that verse in chapter 1 is what does a witness do what does a witness do a witness in a courtroom a witness testifies to the truth right we can shrink back a lot from, from testifying to the truth about Jesus in our own flesh but God promises these disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that Holy Spirit power will be boldness to tell the truth, to be a faithful witness about me, he says. You will tell the truth about me with boldness. Later on this morning, I'll give you a definition of boldness that, that may surprise you. It did surprise me. It may surprise you. You see, power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, the the power of the Holy Spirit in the converted and the commissioned Christian life, it bestows upon us boldness to tell the truth about Jesus. I would ask us this, do you pray for boldness? Do you pray for boldness? Like seriously pray that this gift from God that I want, what I need most is boldness. I need boldness. You pray for boldness. It seems that most Christians have so abandoned the Great Commission that we often don't pray for boldness. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in some other way. That, and, and as we pray uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit to come up, uh, upon us, the only thing, the only person who would benefit from the Holy Spirit come upon us is us. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit for us. But what if we Prayed for boldness to tell the truth about Jesus Christ. Do you pray for boldness? We pray for the power of God to comfort us in trials often. We pray for the Lord's strength to face adversity. We pray for the Lord to heal us from affliction. But what Spring Hill Church needs the most in this hour is the Holy Spirit's power to embolden us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. i want to read you an excerpt from J.C. Ryle concerning zeal. And we, we could replace the word zeal with boldness. As I read this, think about zeal and boldness and interchange them a bit in your mind. Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, and to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. It is a desire which no man feels by nature, which the Spirit puts in the heart of every believer when he is converted, but which some believers feel so much more strongly than others that they alone deserve to be called zealous men. This desire is so strong that when it really reigns in a man, that it impels him to make any sacrifice, to go through any trouble, to deny himself to any amount, to suffer, to work, to labor, to toil, to spend himself and be spent and even to die if he could only please God and honor Christ. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man or a person of one thing. It's not enough to say that he's earnest or hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing that he cares for, one thing that he lives for. He's swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Well, we might remember that Saul was zealous for God. But you know, in Paul's reasoning, Jesus of Nazareth could in no way be the expected Messiah. In no way could Jesus be the Messiah. You've got to understand his passion to please God and his blindness but it had some, some grounding. In his mind, there was no way possible that Jesus could be the expected Messiah. Why? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. A crucified Messiah, in his mind, was a contradiction in terms. And it didn't matter whether Jesus' death by crucifixion was deserved or whether it was a miscarriage of justice. That seemed to be beside the point, according to him. Paul understood, Deuteronomy 21-23, a hanged man is accursed by God. He understood that literally. That if a man was crucified and hung on a cross, he was accursed by God. He could not be the Messiah in his mind. Practically, by definition, you see, he thought the Messiah was uniquely endowed with the divine blessing. As Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And see, this this was the divine curse. The divine curse explicitly rested on one who was crucified. In the mind of Paul, this is an outrageous blasphemy to say that Jesus was the Christ. He was accursed by God and hung on the cross. In Paul's mind, either Christians were deceivers or they themselves were self-deceived because he felt that none of what they said could stand against the argument that a a cursed man in no way could conceivably be the elect of God. And remember the testimony of of Paul to his protege. He says, "Uh, here's what I was like before my conversion and commissioning. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent opponent. He's opposed to the Christians because in his mind there is no way that Jesus could be the Messiah. But we saw the testimony last week in chapter 9, verse 17, when Ananias departed and he entered the house and he laid hand on, hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may gain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias affirms that Saul was converted and commissioned. But we will see that Saul has some doubters. Some days... He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. He had some doubters. Today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see some evidence uh, of Saul's conversion and commissioning uh, by witnessing the boldness of Saul's powerful witness. Saul's converted, he is commissioned, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is immediately saying, Jesus is the Son of God. Do you want evidence that you are a converted soul? Jesus is the Son of God. That's your testimony, isn't it? We just gave testimony in the the reading of our common confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. We praise his holy name forever, amen. We also said that Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. With boldness, do we live that out? Do we proclaim that truth out everywhere we go? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Well, back to our passage, as we look at this, this telling uh, of Saul and his conversion, I, I want us to, to note that in the book of Acts, this is really kind of an overview of a very long period of time. As we look at what have, takes place between verse 19 and verse uh, 31, that seems like, you know, one day this. The next day that, the next day that. This is a period of 14 plus years that we see in this passage. So I want us to think about that. And in fact, why don't we, why don't we turn to Galatians chapter one and uh, we will just uh, read that uh, beginning in verse 14 uh, so we can uh, see what it is that this, this kind of a little bit of this time line here, being in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I am writing to you uh, before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown to the persons in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God before me because of me. Saul's pre-Christian zeal was not only insufficient, but it hindered him from seeing his need for Christ. Saul had formerly been zealous for what? for the traditions of his fathers I want to ask us to think about what disrupted Paul's, Saul's zeal what disrupted his passion for the tradition of his fathers well what disrupted it is what it says in verse 16 that by God's Grace. Saul was acted upon in his conversion. Verse 16, it says that by God's grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, here it is again, as we saw last week. By grace, God commissioned Saul and immediately he commissioned him to proclaim that Jesus is the son of God. Not only was his conversion dramatic and immediate, so was his commissioning. And by grace, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, he was given boldness. You know, some of you may remember the day of your transformation. Some people I know have heard, and I've I've heard their testimony, and it it seems that that they they thought, I have been a believer all my life. You know, I went to church as a kid. Got saved when I was a kid. I just, I've always believed in Jesus. And yet, some of us, like me, may remember the day of this dramatic transformation. I remember the day when the scriptures came alive. When they were no longer just words on a page. When, when you could just boldly proclaim that, that this is just not any book all of a sudden. Because I realized that on this pages of this book, I had met a person. It's not just a book. it's a. I met someone here. I met the person of Jesus Christ on the pages of Scripture. Not only did I just meet Jesus, but I knew that He was my Lord and that He was my Savior, that He was the lover of my soul. Do you remember your response? In this dramatic truth that happened that the, that that God, the Holy Spirit, had opened your eyes by grace. It's nothing you did. You just all of a sudden, you could read it one day and it meant nothing. And the next day, all of a sudden, this is true, right? I'm telling you that the, there was an immediate response of excitement in me. Immediate response. I was reading uh, the words of John's gospel in chapter three. And I read this uh, part of chapter three. I read, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the judgment. This is the part that really captured my heart right here. This is the part that I was blown away. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light unless their work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light because it can be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, upon receiving the the grace of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ in this passage, I repented and I believed and immediately I knew this, that what the passage says here is true about every single person I have ever met. It's the truth about every person I've ever met in my life. That people love darkness Rather than light. They like to hide the true Jeff. It has to be hidden. If I hide it, I know I'm answerable to God. He doesn't know it. If I hide it from others, they don't know it. They don't know me. The heart loves the dark place. If it's true about everyone I ever met, I also came to this revelation that it's not only true about everybody else, this is true about me. And then by the Spirit's power in in whatever this thing didn't mean just words on a page, all of a sudden everything it said about Jesus must be true. I just knew in that moment that it must be true. And in my response, I had great excitement. And I I run from the garage into the house and I holler at my grandmother. I say, Jesus is real. You know what response I got? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know he's real. And I remember like it happened yesterday. I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not understand. Jesus is real. I know him. I met him in the scripture. What it says is true. Jesus is real. I know him. So should you. That was my response. I was immediately emboldened by the Holy Spirit to proclaim that Jesus is the son of God. And Saul here in our passage was immediately emboldened and empowered by the Spirit to announce that Jesus is the Son of God. You may have been a Christian for many years, but I would ask you to ask yourself this do you have the same boldness that you had at the first? Do you have the same boldness that you had at the first? Or has other things sort of crowded out? The boldness and the goodness. You know, we sang that song this morning, The Goodness of God. Do we reflect on the goodness of God that all of my sin was nailed to the cross? That God is good and He's always good. That God is always good. Do we reflect on that and say, Oh, God, help me have the same boldness. That I had at the first. Church, I think we should pray that God the Holy Spirit would come upon us afresh. Every uh, one of us. And give us this new boldness. The boldness that he gave us from the beginning. And like Saul, maybe we've been rejected uh, by many of the folks who knew the kind of life that we had lived previously. Maybe we had some doubters. Us all had doubters. It says here that they asked, is not this the man who who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon uh, his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them those who belong to Christ bound uh, before the chief priests? I would ask us to ponder a couple of questions this morning. It says that in verse uh, 21 of our passage here in in Acts. Actually, verse 22, it says, "Uh, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. Confounded them. He had doubters. But that he was changed was evident. But they had doubts. Was he playing a game? Was he playing a game that he might imprison us? We know what he was like. A leopard cannot change its spots. We talked about last week how change is humanly possible, humanly impossible. We cannot change one thing about who we are in our character and our nature and our proclivities. We cannot do one thing to change that. But we saw Jesus revealed himself to Saul. And everything changed. That he was changed dramatically from the inside out. And he confounded his doubters by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Does your life confound your doubters? Does your life prove that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Does our life, filled with the boldness that the Holy Spirit has given us, uh, this boldness for Jesus Christ, does it make our, our, our unbelieving family members, co-workers, and fellow students, does it, does it leave them sort of confused? It's confusing. All this guy thinks about is Jesus. Jesus. This guy sees everything through the lens of Christ in the world. That's something wrong with that fellow or that gal. Something has changed. It leaves them confused. I pray that, that church that, that we would, that God would increase us in strength. See, Saul here, he increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews. And I pray that, that we as a church would increase in strength, that, that we might with boldness live a life that is pleasing to God, that prioritizes the pleasing of God, that puts the great commission of God as priority number one in our lives. I pray that he would strengthen us in boldness by the Holy Spirit. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Let us look at verse through When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Well, look what's happened to good old Saul. He has been converted by God's grace. Immediately commissioned to kingdom work by God's grace. Immediately empowered by the Holy Spirit with boldness. And what happened? Amazed, confounded, peculiar. And yet, then there were those who had hatred for him. I think sometimes maybe we don't pray for boldness because we fear that although the Lord might increase our strength to be bold, we also know that it's possible and probably likely that hatred, animosity, and marginalization in the world will accompany in it as well. And that will be on the increase. I would almost guarantee us, if we pray, for God to increase our boldness, to give us strength to be bold, and we actually did it, I would almost say that I could guarantee that hatred, animosity, and marginalization would follow in increasing measure. Maybe we don't pray for boldness because we know that that's what comes with it. He was strengthened in his conversion, becoming more and more apparent to the Jews in Damascus, and with his transformation, with this boldness, came an increased persecution. And Saul here escapes persecution, but what he doesn't do is he doesn't immediately go to Jerusalem, as we saw from Galatians. Some time uh, passes. In verse 26 through 31, in 26 we see the first attempt, which is three years after his conversion, he attempts to go to Jerusalem. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, then he leaves, goes to Arabia, goes to Cilicia, ministers there, tells people about Jesus. Fourteen years later, Barnabas took him And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. After three years, Paul's attempts to join the apostles, he's met with rejection even from them. We think the apostles are super Christians, right? They should recognize one who's been converted and commissioned and empowered with the Holy Spirit. They rejected him too. They at first rejected him. Because their thought would be this, and I would understand it. How could it be that one who was so opposed to Christ and so opposed to his church now dare to say and think that he's one of us? How could that be possible? I know some of you, and I know some of your pre-conversion stories, I would ask you the same question. How is it that you think that you have a part of the kingdom of God's people? How is it that you think it's possible that God would use you? Well, I might ask myself that question. of Myself. How is it that God could use me? How might then I convince you that I too belong to Jesus? How might you convince me that you belong to Jesus, that you are part of the kingdom of God? I would ask you this, to contemplate this. Is there evidence of your conversion? And just like Saul, is there evidence that you have been commissioned? If you're converted, you're commissioned. If you're converted, you are a disciple who makes disciples. The word of God is clear on that in the Great Commission, isn't it? It's clear that disciples make disciples. They are about kingdom work. Am I noticeably a disciple who makes disciples? Do I live intentionally in effort in doing spiritual good in kingdom people? That's kind of my simple definition of what a disciple maker is. A disciple makes disciples intentionally does spiritual good in another person's life. Intentionally doing a spiritual good in another person's life. Especially discipling kingdom people do a spiritual good in their life by encouraging them, by comforting them, by uh Maybe even um, exhorting them to push them along, right? To push them forward in kingdom work. And doing a spiritual good in their life. But doing a spiritual good in the world. What is a spiritual good in the world that you can do? Every one of you can do this. Every one of you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. You're not responsible for the response to that statement. That's the Holy Spirit's job, as we see, right? You've done a spiritual good in that person's life. Declaring to them that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That he is the Savior. Maybe even declaring to them you have a problem. Here's your problem. God is holy. You are not. There's a problem. But God is rich in mercy. Sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you if you will just repent and believe. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in Saul is what convinced the apostles that Saul too was converted and he was commissioned. Barnabas declared witness that Saul was endowed with boldness to preach. With boldness. The Greek word paresia is translated boldly in our text. Its definition, sometimes when we think about boldness, can refer only to speech, but really it has a fuller meaning. Yes, as referring to speech, it means speaking without ambiguity, openly, and frankly. But it also means this it means living a life free. And fearless. It means a life lived in confidence and cheerful courage. When you think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which gift would you ask for? I would love to ask God for this daily. Free me. Make me fearless. Give me confidence. Cheerful courage, boldness, and boldness to speak, boldness to say what you have revealed to me with fearless confidence and cheerful courage as I face whatever opposition I might face. As for me, I pray also here for us at Spring Hill Church that we would be men and women filled with the evidence of our conversion. That the Spirit would gift all of us with free and fearful confidence to speak openly and frankly that Jesus is the Son of God. I want us to notice in verse 31 what boldness from individuals, how it benefits the church. Look at verse 31. Uh, very closely with me. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Those who proclaim the boldness of Jesus Christ, a church that proclaims Jesus Christ boldly, the church that is converted commissioned and empowered by the holy spirit with boldness is a church that has peace again in verse 31 and was being built up a church that is filled with boldness builds itself encourages One another. It is built up. It grows into what she's supposed to be. We grow into what we're supposed to be. And again, in verse 31 and walking in the fear of the Lord builds up the church, gives us boldness, and it enables us to walk in a God-pleasing manner. And look what else it does. The church that is filled with bold proclaimers of Jesus Christ, those who are converted, commissioned, and endowed with the spirit of boldness to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ are comforted by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, I want you to see this. Do you want the church to grow numerically? Well, verse 31, again, if we want the church to grow numerically, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Those of us who are emboldened to tell the truth about Jesus Christ, to tell the truth about the gospel. Emboldened to tell that truth. The church is comforted. The church is strengthened. The church is built up. The church is filled with the peace of God, and then God causes that church to multiply. What an amazing truth. And I'm going to pray now and then if you would just take a moment of silence afterwards to reflect upon God's Word. Ask Him what He would have you do uh, with His Word this morning. How He would have you either repent, how He might encourage you, how He might spur you on. And then... uh, Joe will lead us uh, in the Lord's table. Oh, Father in heaven, I praise you for the atoning death of Jesus Christ. I praise you for grace that it is your goodness, your truth revealed to us. that we are saved because of your goodness and not because of us. I praise you for Jesus Christ and his death for my sin. I praise you, Lord, for his resurrection, that he is the Lord who lives, that he is the giver of every good gift as he is seated on the throne That you, God, have declared him both Lord and Master. I ask you, Lord, right now to give us your Spirit's gift of boldness, cheerful confidence, fearless proclamation of your gospel, Lord. We commit this time to you and pray that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.